Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I have become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we are digging into a new series called Family of Frontline Heroes, where I get the chance to speak with spouses and adult children of frontline helpers who will be sharing about their experiences, the challenges that they have faced, the joys associated with supporting someone on the frontlines, and the needs they see for both frontline helpers and the families that love them. My hope is that all of you listening will also encourage your family members to listen in and connect more together around how the job is served not only by you, but also by your loved ones vicariously. And I hope that offers opportunities to open new conversations around what's cool, what's hard, and how you might support one another in the midst of it. I am so grateful to be joined today by the lovely Rebecca Lynn. Rebecca Lynn is the founder of ProudPoliceWife.com, a nationally recognized blog where she provides support, encouragement, education, and resources to law enforcement families. She's also the founder and host of the annual Police Wife Conference, a virtual conference featuring highly sought-after speakers and resources to law enforcement spouses internationally. Rebecca Lynn is the author of The Peacemaker's Wife, a journal for reflection and encouragement for police wives and girlfriends, and Proud Police Wife, 90 Devotions for Women Behind the Badge. She holds a degree in psychology and a master's degree in education. Rebecca's husband has been in law enforcement for 14 years, and they have three small children. Let's jump in. Well, let me open up by saying welcome, Rebecca, and thank you so much for being here with me. I'm really excited to have you, and I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have some of these conversations with people who are, I mean, most of the time our interviews are with first responders, frontline workers themselves. Um, I, I'm so thankful that we're getting to have this um, this series where we get to invite people in who are in the position of caring about someone who's in that role um, and and seemingly kind of peripheral to that, but very directly, like how that gets to happen is because of the support systems that our first responders and frontline workers have. Um, and so I'm grateful for you being here. I'm grateful for some of the work you're doing. I'm excited to talk a little bit about that too. Um, so Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Honored to be here um, as just one of the people that you're having on to 
um, you know, talk about what life is like kind of, you know, behind the line and for our family and what that looks like for families of frontline workers. And because truly it's not just the frontline worker that serves, it's the whole family unit. It impacts us tremendously. So I'm honored to be here. Amazing. Well, why don't we start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself, Rebecca, um, how you're connected to a frontline person and a little bit about your story. Sure. So yes, my name is Rebecca. Um, I uh, live on the East Coast with um, my husband and kids. My husband has been in law enforcement for just over 16 years. We are actually high school sweethearts. And Mm -hmm. um, so we were together before he became a police officer and then after. So I can kind of um, talk to the fact that uh, just changes happen, relationship changes happen before and after entering this line of work. And it's not all bad either. There are good perspectives, you know, to it too. Um, And so my background is actually in education. Um, I have a a bachelor's and master's degree in education. And that is where I initially um, started work was in an elementary school um, after um, college. And and right around the time that my husband and I got married, he was already in law enforcement. Um, He did the academy and stuff when I was um, doing my undergrad. Um, Mm -hmm. And I taught for about uh, seven and a half years. And after that, started staying home with um, our three kids. And honestly, early on, in my husband's journey um, within law enforcement, I remember just feeling sort of alone. I know I wasn't physically alone. I had family that was supportive. My husband, obviously, um, we navigated this together, but I just felt like I didn't, I was very naive to what a uh, changes we would go through sort of with his job. And I couldn't find any resources. And when I did Google things, they were just very negative. Um, and I just felt like there wasn't a lot of information out there. Um, fast forward to many years later, I had still had it on my heart to, I'll say, you know, serve this community in some way, um, knowing that I couldn't find resources, knowing that there were other people that couldn't find resources. I had talked with some spouses or significant others, and they were sort of in the same boat. And um, it just led me to where I am at now to, um, I created a website called proudpolicewife.com. And I just started it as a blog, as a way to document our experiences with this journey. And little did I know it would turn into my full-time job. And I absolutely love it. Um, I provide just support and resources to law enforcement families and really first responder families in general, because a lot of, there's a lot of similarities with what we all go through. And Mm -hmm. um, so I created the blog and, you know, years after that, the social channels and my own podcast. And I have a book called Proud Police Wife. Um, And we even do a conference, which um, I'll mention, you know, towards the end. But um, I wanted to just find a way to give resources that were honest. Some of those, you know, some of what I share, yeah, it's hard, but there's other aspects of what I share that 
there are so many good things because of this lifestyle Mm -hmm. and um, not everything has to be bad and scary. And so um, I just wanted to really fill in those gaps and, and be a voice for one, the people that are going through this and two, um, for those families that are really looking for resources. I wanted to share that and give those resources and if I couldn't provide the resource, I wanted to be able to uh, connect with other, you know, podcasts, organizations, people that do provide that resource and share about it either on my website mm-hmm. or on social media and things like that. So that is me mm-hmm. in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it. I love when, because I think that's how this started too, was this like place of why doesn't this exist? <laughs> like, right. Why? Right when I go looking, why am I not finding what really the need is right now? And then how that inspires the like utilitarian part of us. It's like, well, then I guess I'll make it. Um, And I love, I love that you took this piece that was your experience and turned that into something that um, is able to be shared with other people who are sharing that same experience or variations of that same experience, because absolutely it's needed. Yeah, it is. is. And and I saw that like, I, you know, didn't think I thought, okay, you know, some people will read the blog, you know, my mom, mm-hmm. my, you know, my husband, right? you There's know, like nine friends. friends on Facebook. Yeah. Right. And then I shared and within the first three months, there were like 30,000 people reading. And I was, wow. I was blown away that, and I was getting so yeah. many messages that I couldn't keep up that so many messages. So I thought, okay, this resonated. I wasn't expecting it to go to this direction, but it did. And mm-hmm. it's really incredible. That's amazing. Well, and you share this piece about like being surprised that you couldn't find resources. And I'm, I'm curious, yeah. it sounds like there was this awareness of the aloneness and it sounds like that, that piece of the experience felt surprising for you. And so I'm curious, yes. what, like, what did you think it was going to be like? When you imagined, like, as high school sweethearts, knowing that this is the trajectory that that his career path was planning to follow. Right. What did you imagine it was going to be like? Like, what were the expectations on the front end before you were really deep into it? Honestly, I had none. <laughs> like, I know that sounds silly, <laughs> but there, I literally did yeah. not know. Like, he yeah. talked about going into law enforcement, like right around the time that we got out of high school. Um, and I knew mm-hmm. right away that that's what he wanted to do. But I had no experience with my dad was military, but way before I was born. And so right. I, I didn't grow up around that lifestyle. Um, so I really had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. I knew that his job would require, I felt like more of him than um, maybe like a more civilian job. So I understood that. Um, But I just really did not expect for us to have so many experiences that myself or others could not relate to, or that we would Mm. have to have so many conversations about how his job impacts us as a family. Um, and I really did not know what to expect at all. And it was really, as soon as he got into the academy, I started seeing changes. And that's when I was like, wow, like, 
Rebecca, you were really naive. <laughs> and, um, and so, it, you know, I just saw changes with one, us having a lack of time to communicate effectively or communicate the way that we used to communicate. Um, and I wasn't sure, like, is this normal? Are the things that we're going through, are they normal or are we just having a really hard time adjusting to this? Um, also he was just so thrown so much information that is, you know, very heavy topics through the Academy Mm -hmm. and FTO. And he's having to process that stuff on his own. And, um, you know, I would even help him study. I remember because they spent a lot of time studying outside of the Academy at home. And Mm -hmm. I remember helping him and me being like, whoa, some of this information is very triggering to me. Like I had not even had conversations about, so it was things like that. I'm like, how do I even help him through the Academy is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we went through like one schedule in the Academy, one schedule in FTO, and we had no idea what he was going to do once he hit the road for his schedule. So it was just a lot of ups and downs. And I did not know how to navigate that. And you mentioned loneliness, and that was something that I had neighbors I was close with. I had family that lived nearby, but it was still a sense of we um, were, you know, about to get married and we are on, you know, kind of a new, different journey as a couple, meaning, you know, I'm finishing school and, um, you know, we're ready to kind of start our lives together, yet we're in this new season of challenges because of his job. And so I felt, you know, lonely in the sense that we weren't able to connect like we had done in the past. Yes, we worked through that and figured those things out, but it wasn't without struggle initially. And so um, I did feel lonely and he worked completely opposite shift than me. And so for a number of years, and so it was kind of, um, you know, just me having to figure out like, okay, what do I do with my time? You know, of course I had my own job and I had my own life and my own hobbies and things like that, but we were out of routine. You know, the things that we used to do, like in the evening time together, we didn't do that stuff anymore. And so, um, there were just so many new things to navigate that I didn't know. And I felt like it just smacked me in the face once he started, because it was I never thought of those obstacles before. And, um, and again, like I would Google and all I would see are like scary divorce rates or, um, you know, not positive stories. And, and there just really wasn't a place that was where someone was sharing or talking about how this was impacting them. It might be an article where you can't talk to that person, you know, but there was really Mm -hmm. not a person out there sharing what it was like for them and how they got through it or the positives, you know, that, um, exist in addition to the cons. Um, so yeah, truly I had no idea. (laughs) Hmm. Well, and I mean, it's so interesting because I think that there are those families that are like intergenerational, right? Like the police families that have been police families going back three generations yeah. And I think when you join into a family like that, there's maybe different scaffolding in place right. to help support you as the person joining into that to to feel prepared for what's coming. Right. Um, 
So to be someone who's not a participant in a system like that, I mean, I think those systems have their own challenges, but um, like to some extent, I think being kind of naive also invites us into like recognizing how not in alignment this feels and it makes us adjust it differently and sooner maybe. Um, And it sounds like you guys have been able to find ways to navigate through that, which I'm really excited to talk a bit more about in a little bit. I'm really curious how you feel like we've kind of talked about this piece about early in um, that transition time and adjusting how that how that felt. I'm curious over the course of time now that you guys are have been married, I think, 15 years and have kids and and are have gone through like the many stages of life in, in coupleship. How do you feel that your husband's profession has shaped you and your family as as the people you are and the dynamic that you have within your home. And I think that's a great question because while I just shared how hard it was in the very beginning, and I will definitely say Academy and FTO out of the last 16 years, that was the hardest period out of the last 16 years. So that, you know, the very beginning was the very hardest. And now I can look back and say that honestly, there are so many amazing things that have come from his career and have um, shaped us, not just Mm. us as a couple, but as a family. Um, I was telling someone recently, um, and I'll talk on kids for a second, about how I really realized, you know, our kids sacrifice in this lifestyle as well. And so it can be very Mm -hmm. hard for them sometimes to, you know, understand why daddy can't be, you know, home at dinner time sometimes, or why daddy has to get called out and leave in the middle of the night and they wake up in the morning, he's not there and it can be hard. And so, um, we had a situation recently where, um, the kids were, um, you know, my youngest was questioning, he's six years old, questioning why, you know, daddy wasn't there. And then my oldest, who's 11, instead of me having to fill in like mm-hmm. how I have all these years and say, well, you know, daddy is out helping somebody else. And it doesn't mean that daddy doesn't want to be here. You know, I give this whole spiel, yeah. my 11 my year old did it. And, and it's not, yeah. you know, I was right there, but she jumped in and she said, you know, daddy really wants to be here today, but somebody else needs daddy more right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, Mm. you know, so to look back, stand back as a parent for a second and see how these situations shape our children. When we were in the thick of it, it can be really hard and, you know, hurt our hearts as parents. But I think we're also giving our children skills to be patient to be understanding. And we don't see that for a really long time. It's like, you don't reap those rewards sometimes for years. My daughter's 11 and I got to see how empathetic she was to that situation. And also now transfer that and, you know, show that skill to um, her brother. And then for Mm -hmm. us as our relationship, um, it truly, this may sound cliche, but um, it truly has taught my husband and I to really use our time together intentionally and really think mm. about, okay, is this really what, um, you know, we want to spend our day doing? And we, you know, sometimes we only get small chunks of time. We may not get an entire day together or an entire weekend together. Yeah. We may have two or three hours. And so we have to decide, you know, do we want to spend that time doing a bunch of chores or do we want to do something meaningful as a family? And 
We can really let time slip by, I think, and that's just normal and life. But in the first responder community, I think um, you're often reminded about how um, life is too short or um, traumatic things can happen in life because our loved ones are around it all of the time. And so it really makes us now reflect as a family and how we want to use our time wisely and how we want to um, demonstrate that for our kids. Mm -hmm. And honestly, this is a question I could talk about, I feel like on and on and on, Lindsay, because um, there really are so many amazing things that have come because of this lifestyle, not only with me being able to connect with the the spousal community in so many different Mm -hmm. ways, um, but just that it has taught us so many, I think, life lessons that it would be, I don't know. I I feel like I could step back and say, I don't know if we would have learned all of those life lessons if he had had another job. Um, Mm -hmm. But knowing what uh, we know with the line of work that he does, like one thing we also are really adamant about is not leaving each other um, on bad terms, like, you know, Mm. choosing when to have conversations. Like, you know, we're not going to have heated topics or topics where we don't feel like we can finish the conversation if he's leaving for work or the kids are headed to school. We're, we try to be more, I mean, we're not a hundred percent perfect on it, but we always try to aim to have those conversations where we can actually finish those conversations or we can have time to actually talk and he's not going to be running out or talking after a stressful day or things like that. And um, I feel like that's one thing that this lifestyle really taught us that we may not have learned somewhere else. Mm. That's a really interesting point. Like I think one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is, is this idea of post-traumatic stress, but also the connected idea of post-traumatic growth, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that if we let it, we can get really absorbed in talking about the hard and the bad and the traumatic and the, right, the really icky pieces. Um, And certainly we need to talk about those pieces because they're real and they're there and we can't pretend like they're not. But simultaneously, if we only look at those pieces, we do create a certain kind of a story about what it looks like to be in this job, what it looks like to participate as as a person connected to this job. Um, And that tends not to serve anyone particularly well because that's not the whole story. And when we tell it like it is the whole story, we're really robbing ourselves of connecting to aspects of the story that bring us a sense of meaning and purpose and value And frankly, to some extent, that's actually where we get really caught in post-traumatic stress and where we experience so much declining um, like health and wellness within the job, as well as risk factors for things like burnout and compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma and occupational stress injury and and so many other pieces that are kind of associated there. And so being able to tell the story of like, yeah, these pieces were really hard. It was really hard to adjust. And yet those adjustments in that process, as uncomfortable as it was, trained us for something that we wouldn't have otherwise created these skill sets for. It has grown us and strengthened us in ways 
that wouldn't otherwise have gifted us with these learnings. And while I may not necessarily want to like relive this, (laughs) I also wouldn't necessarily want to trade, like trade out what I got from it because in a lot of ways, it's what makes us our best, our best selves individually, our best selves as a couple, our best selves as a family. Yeah. Like it becomes a part of our story. Yeah. And I really, yes. I mean, I don't want to go back to the ugly and the messy that was, you know, Mm -hmm. years ago when we were going through that because it really forced us to have a lot of conversations. It, it we yeah. really and we had a choice. We could stay in the ugly and the messy or we could talk mm-hmm. it out and figure out what did he need now because his mm-hmm. needs were completely different when he got home from work and yeah. um and and the day after he got home from work and our expectations of one another um meaning things like um, when he got home, I needed to know what type of support he needed, how long he kind of needed time yeah. to decompress. And those weren't things we ever had to have conversations about, but it forced us. And we chose, we, we said like, yeah. you know, we've got to figure this out because, yeah. you know, nobody's giving you a blueprint in the Academy to say you you and your spouse may experience these these situations and here is what you do. And so we were like, we're going to have these hard conversations. And sometimes like it was ugly and it was messy and it was frustrating. And, um, but having those conversations is what led us to now having a really solid, strong relationship that, um, you know, is built off of just taking the time to listen to one another and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really, making sure that we're trying to give each other support and checking in regularly. Because even as a mom, I've changed on what I've needed. Like, you know, yep. we've done like the love language test before. And I remember telling my husband that I wanted to do that. And he was like, whatever. But he did. He did it for me. Yeah, and good Yep. And originally, you know, my love language has even changed over the years. It used to yes. be physical touch. But now that I have three kids, I don't want physical touch. I'm like now touched let's, out. Yeah, touched out. I'm like, yes. so it's changed. So I had to say to him, like, look, I don't want that, you know, like all day long, you know, when days mm-hmm. I am touched out, like words of affirmation is now more important to me. And so just having those conversations of how you can help each other and how you can support each other, even if you're not physically together. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, I could talk about it all the time and just, it's so important Mm -hmm. that communication piece and, and to kind of try to keep going through that ugly and messy and hard, because if you're both committed to it and to getting through it as a couple, then I really think, you know, most couples can come out the other side and say, you know, hey, this was the hard, but this is what we're doing now. Yeah. Well, and it really speaks to the need for adaptability, I think, right? Like, I think <laughs> I share this piece of your story. I, My husband and I are also high school sweethearts. And there's good and hard to that. Because yes. there's, we've known versions of each other. Right. Right, And so there's parts of us that still hold each other accountable to being a version of ourselves that we are no longer. Right. Um, And expectations and wishes to be more like this time in history when we're not there anymore. We're like, I'm, I'm this person now. Right. Um, And, 
it's it can be a beautiful thing because the evolution happens together if we can let it right um but simultaneously it can be part of the hardship is trying to like I may not want to let go of some of these parts of you that you are letting go of and I don't right. want you to let go of them. Um, but it it is this piece about like how we a have the skill set to communicate, but also how we also have the skill set to hear each other communicate right. and be willing to be open to adaptation without feeling um, like defensive or resistant right. to the request to shift. Right. So like, I remember, um, we used to spend tons and tons of time together and, and we used to both be quite extroverted ish. Um, and then when I started working as a therapist, I am peopled out. Like I people all day and I don't just like small talk people. I like deep dive people. Right. So at the end of the day, I, I don't want to (laughs) have, I don't want to, I don't want to go see people. I don't want to go out with friends. I don't, I actually really want a night in. I really want that night to have like very little conversation a lot of times. Yes. And so it's funny because my husband is a musician. He worked from home. It was before we had kids and he would be trapped at home without interaction with other humans all day. And he'd be like desperately clamoring for any kind of interaction with me outside of our home. Like he just wanted to go and be anywhere else doing anything else and having all of the conversation. And initially it was interesting because my first job happened at a time where uh, we, we didn't have a bridge that has since been built. And so I was taking this little ferry across the river every day. And some days it was like a 40 minute trip and other days it was like a four hour trip. And it really just depended on the time of year. What was beautiful about that, though, was that I had a lot of time to decompress my day before I arrived home. That's nice. And then they built this bridge. And suddenly my commute home was like 20 minutes. And I didn't realize that that was not enough time. Right. (laughs) So I would walk in the door and my husband would be like right there to be like, hey, how's your day? Let's talk. Let's do the things and the stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, no. Calm down. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like my whole nervous system would just feel like swamped by it. Yes. And I remember it being this really interesting thing because for him, when I'm like, whoa, back off, um, the feelings rejecting, fair. Right. Um, and so it's that piece of like how, how I need to communicate about it, but also how he can be receptive to, and then vice versa. Like on the flip side, he's like, but I also have a need and I haven't left the house all day and I just need... Someone to look at me and be like, hi. Right, right. Like, acknowledge me. <laughs> right. Right. And so, like, can we can we like negotiate that somehow? Yes. And I think the hard thing for a lot of couples is we're not trained in how to do that. Like, we're not trained right. in A, how to do the talking, but also B, how to do the receiving of that without being like, oh, that means you don't love me and you don't want me and you don't like me right, and your right. needs matter more than my needs and right. right, like all the ways we interpret that. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's this like, uh, like development and progress in us as individual yeah. people and having some of those skill sets at our fingertips is super handy. Yeah. And I remember years ago, early on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my husband, if he might've had a long day and I'd be like, Hey, how was your day? What happened? And I would just get sometimes like one word answers in the beginning. Cause yes. I wasn't giving him that time to decompress. I'm like, are you mad at me? 
did I do something wrong? Yeah. And and so you know you right. just, is that like more pestery and then right. more pestery and, and then it gets like, shorter no. and shorter and shorter. Right. He's like, I'm yeah. just tired. I'm like, oh, but now, um, just many years later into our marriage, um, like after we put the kids to bed, we'll look at each other and say mindless. And we're like, yep. So that means like on the TV, we want something mindless. Yeah. Like we just want to like zone out. At least we're physically next to each other, yeah. but we'll watch something on TV. And it's just mindless. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, yes. you're just watching something and and because you don't have the space to have the big conversations yeah. or to really do much else. So, and we just have those mindless yeah. days. And honestly, some of those days are my favorite because yeah. we can just relax with each other and you don't have to say anything. It's just, you know. Yeah, totally. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, This program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. So let's talk about some of the challenges. I know we've kind of like touched that a lot of, um, a lot of the content that is out there talks a lot about the challenges and in ways that I think don't feel super hopeful. I agree with you about that. Yeah. Um, so I would love to have this conversation trying to kind of keep that balance. Um, but I would love to hear, like, what have been some of the primary challenges that you've experienced as someone who cares about someone who is out there on the front lines? Sure. So definitely... Um like I sort of mentioned earlier, the communication piece was hard mm-hmm. because, you know, just some little examples were before I could call him, you know, message him and I would mm-hmm. get a response back, like in a normal, yeah. what people would quantify a normal amount of time. Um, but with this job, it's, you know, I know that if I'm messaging him, it's not to bother him at work. Like it's, might be something with the kids or I know I'm sending it to him and he's probably not going to see it or respond for hours. And so knowing that he's okay, it's not uh, because your mind can race. Um, It can create that fear when you're doing, you know, you're contacting someone that you love, you're used to one thing and it's completely different. And so um, at, you know, at his job, obviously he can't, respond. And it's not that he doesn't mm-hmm. want to, it's not that, I mean, he's really not even looking at his phone. So, um, mm-hmm. it just, yeah. they're involved in so many things that they're not able to. And so it can be hard. I felt like not only did it initially sort of create fear sometimes because, 
I'd worry like, you know, I'd see something on Facebook, something was happening in the town Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, is he involved in that? Is he okay? Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't have that, those fears anymore, really, only because Mm -hmm. one, you know, you kind of learn that no news is good news. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so, you know, preoccupied with kids and things like that. And I really do trust his training and we have sort of um, kind of protocols for emergencies. Like as a family, Mm -hmm. we've talked about things, but one of the big challenges was fear initially. And then also with the communication piece, um, you know, we might mention something to one another, um, you know, in a text message, but we may not finish that conversation for like days later. Because we might not see each other for, you know, two days, three days, other than in passing. It's because Mm -hmm. if his schedule is completely different, then he's sleeping when, you know, I I would be at work or the kids are at school. And so um, you have to get used to, and that's why I talked about earlier, it forced us to get intentional as to when we were having conversations because it can be brutal when you want to tell your spouse something, especially if maybe you're excited about something about your day and you don't get that time. Um, so that that's definitely a challenge. One of the other larger challenges that I know our community deals with and one that I've dealt with myself, and I think for me it's on a different level um, because I have public pages in support of police, yeah. but it has been challenging over the you know, past few years, especially, um, seeing the negativity out there for, Mm. um, first responders, but law enforcement in particular. And it's really difficult to see that, you know, people aren't getting always the full picture, or you might see a few clips Mm. on, you know, social media and things like that. And, um, I think the hardest piece is that, when bad things happen, um, which, you know, no one supports, but when bad things happen, um, law enforcement gets lumped in as a whole. And so it can be really hard to process that because they're, you know, luckily we did not deal with a lot of friends and family that were negative. They're all very supportive Mm -hmm. for us, but I do have friends that have dealt with friends and family that were even negative towards law Mm -hmm. enforcement, um, just because of something they saw on the news or, um, you know, their, their, their views changed and it can be hard. It can be hard to process that. It can be, um, hard to find the words to have those conversations with people when they want to have them. And, um, and it can be hard to one, be processing those emotions yourself. And, you know, maybe you're angry or sad that people don't understand or frustrated while also Mm. trying to still give support to your loved one and be more positive and not let them always see those emotions because they deal with that. Um, and not only are they dealing with just seeing people on their worst of days a lot of times, but mm-hmm. they do get that negativity. And so on the home front, we want to have this safe place where they come home to and we are their support mm-hmm. system. And so I know that it can be hard to open up and say, hey, it's really hard to see other people be negative when they already know it's there. 
Um, so that's just, I think as a family dynamic, that can be really difficult to experience. Hmm. Yeah. I can only imagine that that would be this added layer. And I, I mean, it makes me wonder and kind of get curious about what that looks like as like, even as kids face some of those layers in their, like your kids, I think are still little enough that probably that doesn't factor into their own peer conversations and interactions, but what that might look like if they were a little older and, and more influenced by some of those pieces in like high school, college level kinds of interactions. That's like a whole new piece that I hadn't even really thought of about how that might feel to be in. Yeah. 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 Hmm. And our oldest, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was saying our oldest has, um, gotten a couple questions before. And so mm. she had come to me and said, um, you know, someone said something about, you know, a police officer, like it was in a book. And so, but a mm. child made a negative remark and she didn't say anything to that child, but then came home to me and said, you know, she was just really surprised. Like, why would someone say that? And so, yeah. you know, we talked about how, um, you know, they may have had, um, you know, people have their own experiences, but this is what we can do. Like, yes, that person said that, but, you know, here's what we can do as, you know, an 11 year old. And so just having those conversations and then supporting her. And, um, so we've had just little things like that, but we also, in my book, I shared about how, Um, we were in the area where my husband works and we're just sitting at a stoplight and, um, it was during, you know, 2020 when there were a lot of protests and riots and there was going to be one that evening. And so this was earlier in the day though, like three, four o'clock, but a car pulled up beside us at the stoplight and my, you know, 11 year old even then could read and it had Mm. very, hateful derogatory words Mm. to law enforcement and she so she read them and was like I don't understand why someone would put that on their car and so we had to have you know a lot of conversations about that and just hard talks about that um and so Mm. little things have happened here and there luckily it's not you know huge um but we've just you know we've still had to have those conversations at even a young age Totally. Yeah. Well, and again, like no blueprint. Right. We talk about that in terms of marriage, but also parenting. And we talk about that in terms of parenting generally, no matter what profession you're in. Right. But certainly there's no blueprint for how to have some of those conversations about, right, like how how to make sense of the world that we're living in, particularly when we have a parent who is so directly associated to some of those pieces. Right, right. Hmm. I'm curious on the flip side, what some of the experiences have been that you've really valued or treasured as a loved one of someone on the front line? So kind of setting the challenges over here for a second. What are some of the pieces that um, I know we were talking earlier about kind of the gifts that this gives? Are there some that feel like really tangible for you? Sure. One uh, and the biggest I would have to say is the community. Um, mm. I um, have found a huge community with other 
just first responder spouses in general and mm-hmm. even military spouses. And yeah. that, you know, there are so many different similarities. And I didn't realize that at first, but, you know, when we lived in our first house and my husband first started the job, I had a neighbor and her, they had moved in and her husband was deploying around the same time that my husband was starting his job. And so we just had so many similarities together. And so it was so Mm. great to have a community. And while it took a while, it wasn't like instantaneous. My husband started the job and boom, here's this community. I had to be (laughs) like open and receptive because Mm -hmm. um, not everyone understands what it's like to be married to, you know, a first responder or a frontline worker. And, um, but it was eye opening to me that, um, when I did kind of let those people in and share about it, um, it was just nice to have other people that get it, that to have other people that, you know, understand. Um, so -hmm. community is the biggest because, um, day after day, I think it's so important to in this lifestyle and really, life in general, to have that support system, have a support system of people in some way that you trust. And um, with my husband's job, it's been so nice to have a community of people that um, just, you know, I can call quickly if I have a question or um, if my husband is, you know, maybe we had plans and my husband gets called out, I can say, hey, you know, we have to rearrange. Mm -hmm. They just get it. And it's not, you don't have to go into this huge background story and it's just nice. It's nice to feel heard and feel seen by having that community. And so for anybody listening that might be a significant other, um, I would just say be open to um, like a lot of these women I've met on Instagram, which some people might be like, what? But it's because I have a public page. And so people, you know, will message me. Um, And um, it's just been nice. The other thing, too, is like I hold this annual conference for um, first responder families every year called the um, Annual Police Wife Conference. And it's virtual. And we have a Facebook group for the conference. Mm -hmm. And so, like, even in the introduction post, wives will be in there or significant others will be there and say, hey, oh, you're from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota, too. And, like, then they get talking. And so – It's just, you know, by happenstance, by being open and sharing a little bit that you can meet other people and it doesn't just have to be like in your hometown. Um, You know, I have a few that are local to me, but, um, you know, I also realized too that, you know, it doesn't just have to be another police spouse or another fire spouse. Like I have a friend that, you know, relates to a lot of what I go through. Her husband um, Mm -hmm. owns a car dealership. So he works really long hours on the weekends. And so she is kind of quote unquote solo parenting a lot. And so those are the aspects we can relate to one another. It's not everything, but there's overlap. And so, you know, also knowing that there's other people out there that, you know, can semi-relate or want to try to relate. And it's just nice to um, have that piece. Um, The other thing is too with, um, you know, some of the positives is this um, lifestyle has really taught us, like I mentioned earlier, to be just very intentional with our time, with, um, Mm. you know, how we, you know, choose to spend our time together as a family, what we choose to do. 
um, and you know how we raise our kids, and it is um, it's been a huge blessing to us. And I feel like um, mm-hmm. we've been able to just connect with other people who um, also kind of see that intentionality and how it's really important to have that. And maybe they are, um, you know, another frontline worker, you know, family. And we have a family that we're really close with that they're not first responders, but um, just another like, you know, blue collar family that they understand what it's like. And so it's really nice to share those commonalities just with, you know, other people. Um, and it's taught us again to like have that support system. Um, and the other thing I have to say too, is it's really taught me to be flexible and independent and try to find a balance Mm -hmm. of those two because, um, because of his job, his plans change a lot and I can't control that and neither can he. And so we, uh, I have a funny story in a minute that I'll share, but Um, It's taught me to just be flexible because we can't control what's happening. And so, you know, I have plan A, plan B, plan C. Sometimes I have to go back to plan A after I try plan C. And so um, being flexible and I've always been a pretty independent person, but um, Mm -hmm. it has been, you know, really taught me that, okay, like I... I'm not going to call my husband while he's at work because the toilet's broken. Instead, I'm going to get on YouTube mm-hmm. and I'm going to figure out how to fix it myself. And so, yeah. um, you know, things like that, that I don't think um, I would have maybe done otherwise. Who knows? Um, and I said I was going to tell you something and now I forget what it was. Oh, my funny gosh. Story. It was a funny story. Um, oh, I. Okay. I remember. Um, so I remember one time, um, my husband came home, we had, you know, a newborn, I think our daughter was like three months old at the time. And Mm -hmm. I remember saying to him, like, I am so tired. Like I was up with her all night long. You know, I really need you, you know, when he came home to like take time with the baby. And he's like, well, I'm tired. I dealt with this, this, and this. And we kept going back and forth about who was more tired and then finally we looked at each other and we're like, this is ridiculous. We're like, we're, this is silly right now. And so now we can look back and say like, you know, another thing that this has taught us is there's no comparison game. We don't have to compare mm-hmm. as who's more tired or who did more in their day because our days are going to be drastically different and, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but it's not a competition. We can either continue to argue and compare about who's more tired and who needs to do this. Or we can say, look, we're both tired and we're going to tag team and work this out, you know, together. And so, um, you know, it was just funny at, in the moment to be like, I'm tired. No, I'm more tired. And we're, and let's arm wrestle over it. Right. Like, this is so silly. This is not, um, a comparison game. And so it's Mm -hmm. really also taught us to, um, just work as a team because I, I'm sure you can learn that many ways. You don't have to be a first responder family, but that's just one thing that's really um, helped us because when, you know, there's a lot of times where we're not together and I'm solo parenting and he's at work, but when we are together, like let's really, you know, combine forces here and let's really um, work together to 
uh, do whatever it is we need to do or have those conversations because um, yeah. we're always going to be tired. Kids make you tired. Like <laughs> life is tiring sometimes. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Totally, totally true. Okay. So my last real big question for you actually wasn't even in the list of questions I sent you. I just thought of it and I'm disappointed I didn't include it when I sent That's those okay. off. <laughs> and it's this. As someone who is solo parenting and is navigating the ever-changing circumstances of partnering someone who is working on the front lines, what do you do for your own health and wellness? Like, what does that look like for you? What have been your, like, key learnings and growing areas in making sure that you're good? Because I think that the thing is, is that if we're not good, ain't nobody good. Like, when you're mom, when you're that kind of, like, hub piece of the family dynamic. Yes. Um, it does really rely on you being good. And I think the challenge for a lot of um, moms, a lot of parents, a, um, a lot of people who find themselves in that kind of hub role yeah. is that the role invites us to prioritize everyone else's needs first and ours last. And the yes. downside to that is it's not sustainable. Right. So what does it look like for you to try to find some sustainability for yourself? And what are some of the pieces that you might encourage others to consider as they shape that for themselves? I'm so glad you asked this, actually, because I'm really passionate about this. And so this is great. Um, and first, my biggest piece of advice um, for anybody listening is have a life outside of law enforcement or outside of whatever career Amen. it is, because I cannot mm-hmm. preach this enough. And, you know, we have spouses that work in these career fields, but this lifestyle does not, yes, it impacts us, but it doesn't need to be all of us. And so, um, and for me, I really had to stick to that only because my work is now similar to, um, I don't want to say similar to what my husband does because it's in no way, shape or form like that. Um, it's very adjacent. Yes, it is. You know, it's in it supporting the spouses. And so I, again, you know, went from being a stay at home mom to now having, you know, talking with spouses day in and day out. I was also getting peopled out and getting um, Mm -hmm. just hearing about everyone's circumstances and kind of taking those burdens on myself. And it was exhausting some days and I had to find ways to have boundaries. And so for me, um, when I, you know, started all of this, I love to write. So it was interesting because I thought, okay, how can I reach this community? And for me, it was writing. So, which is Mm -hmm. why I started the blog because writing for me was just a great outlet. Well, I got so kind of consumed by it. I would write, go like put my kids to bed, go down in my little office in the basement. And I would write from like 8 8 p.m. to like midnight or 1 a.m. until I got really burned out. (laughs) And from literally everything. And it Mm. sort of tied to my husband's job only because yes, I was my own person, but I was writing about aspects of his job and how it impacted us. And so then, you know, hearing all these stories from other spouses, I needed a way to find something that um, would just help me put those boundaries in place. And so um, for me, it was just eye-opening, like after our last child was born six years ago, 
it was around that same time. I'd been doing the blog for about a year. He was about one year old. And I told my husband, I'm like, I literally need to find new things for myself because all it is, is being a mom and doing this work, which I love doing. It wasn't that it was just that I needed to disconnect in some way. Um, And so for uh, me, it was having those conversations with my husband at first and telling him, look, I, there was a point where I was struggling and I was like, I am not doing anything for myself. And I'm, you know, writing to wee hours in the morning, then getting up with the kids, doing all the mom things, and then Mm -hmm. desperately wanting to have time with my husband, but his schedule was different. And so the only time we had time together, we wanted time as a family. Like I didn't want to cut that short for us because I wanted him to be with the kids too. And so we had conversations about one, him supporting me in um, making sure I had just time away and quiet time. And I needed time to like, it sounds silly, but as a mom, I'd be able to relate, just take a shower without little fingers under the door saying (laughs) mommy, mommy, or slipping me notes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's really good. He was really good at, you know, saying, Hey kids, let's go outside so that I could actually have a shower or, um, I could go, you know, listen to music and, and just, you know, do what I needed to do around the house. Or some days it was just, I meandered around Target or the mall by myself. I just needed like quiet time to like be with myself. Um, and Mm -hmm. so it's changed over the years, but now, um, one kind of, I think big piece of my husband and I's story is we both wanted, um, changes, not just, we wanted things different for individually, like for each of us, Mm. for my husband, for myself. And then we wanted changes for our family. And one of the things that we did was we moved away out of um, the neighborhood that we had been in and we bought land and now we have a house Mm. and we wanted just um, for us, what was really important was nature and being outside um, and um, having that for our kids. And that is what allowed both of us to really just decompress and um, really, excuse me, um, be better at reaching like our optimal wellness day in and day out. And even when days are crazy or busy, we can step outside and like breathe fresh air and not hear another yeah. sound for miles. And you know, we have 18 yeah. acres and, you know, I can hear my chickens out in the back. Um, <laughs> and, but I needed to find sort of new things that I liked and um, that didn't involve being a mom and didn't involve um, just, you know, my work and writing. Cause writing while it was an outlet at one time, it's not that anymore. It's, it's work now. And so that, that changed for me. And so I needed to find something different. And so for me now, that's, um, like gardening and, um, I have a massive garden and I love doing that and being with my animals, you know, we have farm animals and being with them outside. Um, and my Mm. husband, it's, you know, he can just go for, acres and walk on the trails or hunt. And so we have those things individually that we both need. And now we really make it a priority. It's a little easier that our kids are 
slightly older at, you know, 11, nine and six that we can say like, you know, Oh, daddy's outside for the morning. He'll be back in a little bit. And there's not as Mm -hmm. many meltdowns now, but, um, Mm -hmm. their understanding of that, but we really had to support each other so that we could both have that better wellness. Um, and not just for our family, but to be like the best versions of ourselves, and, and have that peace. And, you know, some weeks are harder than others. You know, if your kids get sick or my husband just had an on-call week. Um, but really that's my biggest piece of advice is as, you know, have a life outside of law enforcement or whatever job it is, you know, your job, your spouse's job. And truly find what it is that you're passionate about and be on the same page with your spouse to make sure you're each getting that. Totally. It's a solid piece of advice. I think we talk a lot about the risks within the job of over-identifying with the job. Yes. Like, And I've, I've had, I have this rant that I often go on about how we, we actually do a disservice and we do this to kids from the time they're really little where we say things like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And we don't say like, what are you going to do for a living when you grow up? We say, what are you going to be? Like, even the language in that is really laden with this is going to identify who you are as a human, whatever the answer to this question is. Um, And within first response and frontline work, there's this like additional layer of invitation because it's not only a job, it is a family. Like it, it often has these ties to like brotherhood and, and whatever that, that further enhances the sense of invitation to over identify with it. These aren't just my coworkers. These are my people. Right. Um, and, and there's beauty to aspects of that, but also a lot of risks and danger inherent to it. Yes. And I think that we all have invitations to that. I think as moms, there's a huge invitation um, to over-identifying with our mom role where like, now I'm just a mom. Right. <laughs> like, yes. And how many moms do I talk to who are like, I don't even know what I like anymore. Like, yes. I don't even know what food I would choose if I was only choosing for me. Cause I literally think of what anyone else in my house will or won't eat before yes. I would think of what I care to eat. Yes. Right. Like yeah. we do this in, in lots of areas. And yet it's really important for us to retain a sense. And if we've lost it, to reconstruct a sense of who I choose to be in the world. And a piece of that is the mom hat I wear. And a piece of that is the spouse hat I wear. And a piece of that is the, you know, support person to a first responder hat that I wear. But, but those are hats. Like who am I under the hat? Yes. And yes. who do I choose to be? How do I choose to engage this world? Knowing that some of those hats are also like impermanent, right? right? If right. my spouse were to no longer be a first responder, how would that change who I am? Right. And if yeah. it feels like that would change a lot, then that says something about maybe how much we're over-identifying. Definitely. If we imagine when our kids are grown and no longer in our house, how much that will change our lives that maybe says something about how we're perhaps over-identifying with that role, right? Like, yes, it will change your life. But, but if it feels like it's like, that would absolutely catastrophically change how I feel in my day-to-day living. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot that we're identifying with that role. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, Mm. I I agree. Good one. I love it, Rebecca. That was a great spot to, 
to wrap up on. Okay. So before we end, I also want us to have a real quick chat about some of the resources that you offer. Sure. Um, I know we mentioned at the very start your website. Um, I know you've mentioned in passing your book and the conference. So do you want to just talk real quick about that? And we will also make sure that we post links to all of those pieces on uh, in the show notes for the show. Um, and so if anyone's looking for any of that information, they can hop into the show notes and find all of it. But why sure. don't we just do a real quick um, piece about that? Sure. So the conference is, you know, five years ago, I developed uh, something called the Annual Police Wife Conference, but really first responder, anyone is welcome to attend. Um, and I wanted mm-hmm. to find a way before it was like the cool thing to do before, you know, with COVID um, to- Before it was a thing. Uh-huh. Right. To bring together people virtually. So all online, because I felt like there were so many amazing resources across the country, but it was either one really expensive for people to access them. Um, you know, and a lot of times these people were coming to departments and spouses were not able to attend. And I really think, yeah. you know, yet there's a time and place. There are certain speakers are great just for the officer or the first responder, but there's others that really talk about, um, you know, impacts that I think are really important for the family to hear. And so, yeah. One um, expense, the other was um, just time. People didn't have time to take off work or get childcare or get together you know, at the same time with their spouse. And so I wanted to make all these amazing resources and speakers very accessible for our community. Mm-hmm. So um, I hold something called the Annual Police Wife Conference. This year is our fifth year, and we always have um, you know several thousand families signed up, which is incredible. Um, yeah. But it's five days. This year it's um, April twenty fourth to twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. And I'll give uh, Lindsay the link for you guys to check it out in the show notes. But general admission pass is absolutely free. So you get access to the videos. We have 10 plus expert speakers. This year, our keynote speaker is Taya Kyle. She's the widow of um, uh, American sniper Chris Kyle, founder of the Taya and Chris Kyle mm-hmm. Foundation and New York Times bestselling author. Um, but we also have so many other um, amazing speakers that are coming on. And we're talking about our huge focus this year is wellness, nutrition, sleep, um, you know, breaking unhealthy habits and how you can actually do that as a first responder family. And so really, really practical tips and resources that work for not just law enforcement, but um, many, you know, many Mm -hmm. listeners and no matter what, you know, uh, career path your spouse might be on. Um, but it's five days, uh, two videos are dripped out per day. There's also amazing prizes that, um, people can win just by registering from really supportive brands. Um, and then we have that Facebook group that people can join if they're part of the conference. That is a, just a great place to have community, ask questions, get to know other people, um, in a safe space that, um, you know, just relate to this lifestyle. So um, I hope you guys will join us. Um, There's also other passes if you want to be able to access the videos, not just for the one week of the conference, then we have the VIP and lifetime Mm. pass so you can get access longer. Um, Also, we have some people even that have groups or um, organizations or spousal groups and they contact me via email and they buy um, group passes. So then everybody can get together and watch and do like a watch party sort of thing, which is nice. really neat too. Um, that's like a great way to, to do that. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I hope you guys will check it out. And then, yes, my 
my website, proudpolicewife.com. And then um, I have two books. My newest book, though, is Proud Police Wife, 90 Devotions for Women Behind the Badge. And that's available on Amazon, Target Online, Barnes & Noble Online. Um, and Lindsay will get all those links for you guys. Absolutely. I will make sure they are all posted in the show notes. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being here and for taking the time with me. It's been great. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Please join me in extending one more big thank you to Rebecca for taking the time and sharing her journey and experience today. All of the amazing resources she mentioned today will be linked in the show notes, so be sure to go and check those out. As we wrap up today, let me remind you that if you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways you can do just that. Number one, rate and review Behind the Line on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Number two, follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this amazing little community that we're building there. Every time that you like, comment, and share our posts, you are using your power to help us spread like wildfire thanks to the magic of the algorithm. And number three, share this resource and our other resources with those you know. If you would like a poster or info cards about the podcast for your workplace, send me an email to support at thrive-life.ca. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But way more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work you do. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.